0: going to continue a series today that we started last week. Let me begin this message as we continue this series uh, with asking you a question. How are you? How you doing? Now let me ask you another question. What is the mo- one of the most common answers to how are you doing that you hear? When you ask somebody else that question, how you doing? What's one of the answers that you hear back? Fine. I'm doing fine. Yeah. Something else? Good. I'm all right. You know, one, one of them that I'm not hearing that I actually hear a lot, and as soon as I say it, you're going to go, yeah, I hear that a lot. In fact, I say it a lot. One of the most common answers that I hear when I ask people, how you doing, is they go, busy. <laughs> yeah, right? Didn't you, you felt that, like down in your gut, right? I'm busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah yeah, I'm busy. I really am busy. You know, this is so common that I've actually even noticed as people come in, they talk to me, uh, that people begin to say, how are you busy? It, it's like we assume the answer, right? How are you doing? Busy? Or people go, how you doing? I know you're really busy. Right? Isn't that interesting? Now, I've been running a little bit of an experiment recently uh, where I tell people so, d- kind of different things when they say, how you doing? I know you're really busy. I'll say something like, well, I'm busy, but about the Lord's work. Or sometimes I'll say, I'm not busy, I'm focused. Right? And it's interesting that people go, oh, is there an option to not be busy? Is that a choice that I can make? I, I just thought that the world that I live in is busy. And the reason we think that is because the world we live in bakes busyness into our daily lives. In fact, did you know that there was a study that was done that says that since the 1990s, the pace of living for the the average Westerner has increased by 20%. Just in the, in the last couple of decades, our pace has increased by 20%. And then the scientific method that they did to to do this was among other different experiments. My favorite experiment was they picked a, a bunch of different streets in cities around the Western world. And they just observed for a number of of hours and days at certain times during the day, what was the pace that people walk and how many people kind of pass through in traffic and all of that. And they observed that over a number of different years, the same day every year. And and it just was a running study kind of of different uh, streets. And they actually noticed that we walk faster now than we used to walk. We drive faster than we used to drive. Some of you who have children who are about to be drivers are terrified because we drive faster than we used to drive. But one of the things that this study also found is that this pace of living that has increased 20% since the 90s has also resulted in an increase in things like coronary disease. Oh, it got quiet all of a sudden. There's physical ramifications. The faster we go, it turns out the more stressed out we are, and the more stressed out we are, the more we have to learn how to live with things like headaches and insomnia. And not only physical effects, but social effects. This study also found that the faster pace we live in, the lower the chances are that we will stop and help somebody. Just like in a moment, we're less likely to help one another now In moments as we see strangers on the street needing help, maybe we need to do a sermon series just about the Good Samaritan. We're less likely to be that guy because we live at a fast pace. And we're even less likely to frame our entire lives around being people who help other people because our world is moving so fast and it is killing us. So last week we started this series called Practice the Presence. We are understanding that the practice of the presence of God is vital to us. In fact, what we learned last week is that this is so vital to us, it is as important to our spiritual lives as breathing oxygen is to our physical lives. And so we're talking about what does it look like for us to practice the presence of God. Now, we understand practicing the presence first and foremost as we understand certain things about God and then responding accordingly. That's what we talked about last week as we launched this series. Ultimately, we learned that practicing the presence of God begins with awareness of God's constant presence And it looks like producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, just by way of reminder, the fruit of the Spirit are nine statements that are made. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today I want to look at this practice of God's presence through a little bit of a different angle. We looked at God directly uh, last week, and today we're going to look a little bit at our own behavior. If we are going to practice God's presence, and I would say you probably agree with this, if we learned last week about his character and his attributes, today as we think about our behavior, we want to know how do we follow God's example if we are going to practice God's presence. Now to begin, Peter actually zeroes in on a specific characteristic of God in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. He says, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. This is like a good teacher saying, okay, everybody, eyes up, listen to what I'm about to say. Pay attention to this. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, I I want you to understand, we could do an entire sermon, an entire series, just on these two verses right here, understanding attributes of God and how he responds to us and how we should respond to him. That would be an awesome sermon series. But the thing that I want to draw out for you today is this, this element of a characteristic of God. Now, let me just remind you real quick, Last week, we learned that God is, we called it, omnipresent. This is God being everywhere, always, all the time. All the time, he is everywhere at all times. In other words, we have never been outside of God's presence. This is possible because God is not bound by time the same way that we are bound by time. And this is why Peter can say that for God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. Time doesn't affect God the same way that it affects Him. This is why it's possible for us to say that Christ was slain, crucified for us. He was the sacrifice for the, for the, to, to be the sacrifice for our sins from, Scripture says, before the foundations of the world. This God who exists outside of time, before time even began for us, had already done the work. Now, you try to wrap your mind around that and come and tell me how it works And I'll let you pastor the church. (laughs) I'm still working on trying to understand that. But what we do know is that God is bigger than us. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. And in his omnipresence, he is patient. Of course, he's patient. Time doesn't affect him the way that it affects us. And even though we are bound by time, human beings can only live one moment at a time in order, and we can never go back ever. And even in that being our reality, God says, I want you to be like me. I want you to also learn to be patient. And our world pushes us to be impatient, running from, the, from one thing to the next. But God invites us again to be like him, to slow down, to be patient. This is the God who said, to his chosen people Israel I will send the messiah I will send the savior and they waited generations this is the god who said when uh, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father told us I will come back quickly 2000 years ago and peter reminds us god's not slow in keeping his promise he's patient Why is he so patient? Because he so desperately wants us to enter the kingdom of heaven. So I would say to you that among other things that we can understand from what Peter is teaching us there in that text, that patience, slowing down, is a doorway into the kingdom of heaven. And if that's true, then you can make the opposite argument, that the pace of our lives is one of the reasons why so many of us don't actually experience the kingdom of heaven. Which is a tragedy, considering that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he said, pray that it would be, among other things, on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to an eternal future, an eternal life in the presence of God with no separation, where we will not be rushed, where we will not experience the death and decay of hurry. And Jesus says, pray that it would be like that now. So we must be invited into something radical. Pete Scazzaro, in his, in his uh, book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, he calls this practice slowing down for loving union. This is, this is what it might look like for us to practice the presence of God. Now, slowing down to practice the presence is a part of the way that we honor the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. If hurry is something that is killing us, then slowing down becomes the gift that might introduce us or give us the option to experience the John 10.10 thing that Jesus said he came to give us, life and life abundantly or overflowing or to the fullest, right? Pastor and author John Mark Comer reminds us what we're guarding our hearts from. And and, and he, he actually reminds us at one point that Thomas Merton called this pressure of modern life, a pervasive form of contemporary violence. Comer goes on to say, violence is the perfect word. Hurry kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, and appreciation. People in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of a moment. It kills wisdom. Wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. Wisdom has its own pace. It makes you wait for it. Wait for the inner voice to come to the surface of your tempestuous mind, but not until the waters of your thoughts settle and calm. Hurry kills all that we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work, creativity, generosity. You name your value, hurry kills it. Hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our society. So slowing down to practice the presence of God is not simply a nice idea. We would say that slowing down is a matter of spiritual urgency. Adele Albert Calhoun writes, urgent and patient may not seem like words that go together, but in the Christian journey, a sense for both are absolutely necessary. Think about it this way. The more urgent a thing is, the more attention you would want to give to it. Now name me one thing that God thinks is more urgent than your soul. More valuable than your spiritual formation. And we're invited to slow down. To practice the presence of God requires that we take seriously the pace of God's presence. As John Bloom writes, there are vital and even priceless things we will only learn about God, ourselves, others, and the evil one through God's time-consuming, arduous, incremental, repetitive, trial-error-correction process of learning. There is something about the kingdom that can only be fully engaged slowly. And so today we want to talk about that. We want to look at the urgency of, uh, while Paul certainly told us to run our race, he also told us to learn to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord. We want to talk today about what does it look like to do that kind of walking so that we can be pleasing to God, bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the Spirit, one of which is patience. So with that in mind today, I, I want to share with you two ways that slowing down to practice God's presence will protect us, and one blessing that this practice promises f- for those of us who walk in it, and then I'll just give you some simple pro tips for how we can actually slow down. One of them is, well, a couple of them will probably annoy you. Just, just going tell you now, I'm going to try to end this sermon by telling you something annoying, okay? You're, you're, you, you in for it? All right. Okay. So uh, we'll begin with what I think is uh, the, the urgency, which is what does the practice slowing down to practice the presence of God, what does it actually protect us from? And number one, slowing down protects us from reactions. Now at Life Church, if you've been around here for a little while, you know that when we say the word reaction, that's a bad word, and we don't want reaction, we actually want response. Now, we use that kind of language to bring something of clarity. We want response rather than reaction. So just for understanding, so we're all on the same page, we define reacting as being quick, it's driven by emotion, and it takes little to no time to process before taking action, Right? Reaction is what happens when somebody says something nasty to you and you immediately say something back or swing a fist, right? Please don't react. Responding, on the the other hand, is slow. Responding in our context is driven by prayer and reflection. Responding is aware and considerate of personal emotions as well as the emotions of others. Responding is informed by as much information as possible before taking appropriate action. If you're still confused about responding versus reacting, reacting is what all of everybody did in 2020, and responding is what we tried to do Is we tried to slow the conversation down. right? We want responding over reacting. Now, Moses actually in Scripture serves as a powerful case study for response versus reaction, the danger of speeding to a reaction. Now, Moses was the leader of the people of Israel. He was the one told by God to lead the people out of Egyptian captivity into the wilderness, off they go, wandering around in the wilderness for a bunch of years, and in the middle of all of the time that they were in the wilderness, the people of Israel did one thing that I know you've never done, and in our culture you cannot relate to at all. They complained. They complained about God, and they even said things... They said things to Moses like it would have been better if we had stayed in captivity because at least then we would have had all of the stuff that Egypt has as, that we would have had as slaves. That would have actually been better. The point of all of that lesson, among other things, for this moment is that these people were failing to be grateful for their deliverance. And if you are a parent and you have ever had a child fail to be grateful for something you did for them, you know what Moses was feeling. Now multiply that by 40 years and thousands of people. Ungrateful. All looking at you, going, why did you lead us out into this wilderness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a Hebrew word. (laughs) Now this one time, the people of God were complaining about not having enough water, so Moses goes into the presence of God, and he prays, he cries out to God, he says, the people are turning on me, what do I do? And God says back to Moses, here's what I want you to do, there's a rock right over there, I want you to take your staff, now his staff was special, different sermon, read the Bible, Uh, he takes his staff, and he goes, God says, I want you to take your staff, and I want you to strike the rock with it, and as you strike the rock, water will come gushing out, there'll be enough water for the people, so that's exactly what he does. In front of all the people, he goes, strikes the rock, and water comes out, and he says, look what God did for you, and they celebrated, and then they went back to complaining. So years go by after this moment, and in Numbers chapter 20, we'll pick up the story uh, as we see Moses being the case study for reaction. Now, just to lay the context, it says in verse 1, Numbers chapter 20, the entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. This That is in there uh, to... Uh, at the very least, give you an understanding of the emotional moment Moses is in. His wife just died. Okay, cool. Now go lead all these whiny people, Moses. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 2. There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? This is now not the first time that Moses has heard this complaint. Why have you led us from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. They're having flashbacks, memories to years and years ago in the land of Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting they fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them this should be good news and the Lord sa- spoke to Moses take the staff and assemble the community and your brother Aaron and speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield water you will bring out water from them from the uh, for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock must we and and he says listen you rebels must we bring out water of this rock for you then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank so this is an amazing miracle Right? Second time this miracle has happened. It's pretty incredible. God is gracious. Even in the middle of our complaining, God finds a way to provide for us. Not the sermon I'm preaching, but that's a good lesson. Verse 12 goes on, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring the assembly into the land that I had given them. Now, at first glance, so it's at the surface level, what this looks like is God punished Moses for following orders. God, what are you doing? What's going on here that you would, you would say, I don't get to go into the promised land because I did what you told me to? How is that fair, God? But look at the details. okay? So the, Remember the story the first time? Wh- what did we say the first time this happened that God told Moses to do? Strike the rock. And what did Moses do? struck the rock and what happened? water came out. Now, what did God tell Moses to do this time? Speak to the rock. And and what did Moses say? Listen you rebels? Do we really have to bring water out of this rock for you? Oh, he spoke. He spoke, and, it, and if anybody in that moment had, had raised his hand, if Aaron had been like, excuse me, Moses, um, didn't God say to speak to the rock? It, Moses would have turned to him and go, I am speaking to the rock. The hard-hearted people of Israel, I'm speaking to that rock. Sounds like a reaction, doesn't it? And What is the result? Now we can begin to understand Oh, you don't get to actually go into the promised land now. You don't get the fullness of the promise that i would given you. Oh, I'll deliver you out of slavery, but I cannot give you the fullness of the promise if when I tell you to do something, you don't fully obey me. And isn't it interesting how God isn't actually interested in our kind of obeying him? He's interested in obeying him down to the very detail of what he said. Otherwise, we don't get the fullness of the promise, right? Okay, so first things first, Moses needs a therapist. Right? He's in an emotional state. He's fed up with the people's complaining. And it, clearly, his emotions are getting the best of him. And then the result is punishment for Moses. Or, or maybe a better way to say punishment, so we understand what God is saying is, you don't get the fullness of my blessing or my promise because you reacted out of anger instead of, slowing down. Slowing down would have given Moses an opportunity to maybe take a few deep breaths. Process his emotions in a healthy way. I mean if he would have just had a conversation with God in that God, uh, are we really going to do this again? Like I'm just so tired of these people complaining. You know how if we you study scripture you would probably have you could probably guess how God might have responded to that. If Moses had said, I'm just so tired of these people complaining, God would have said, I know, how do you think I feel? But because we're going to express the love and the grace and the mercy of God to these people so they don't die in the wilderness, I'm asking you to go speak to the rock. And it would have ministered something to his heart. But Moses' reaction caused him to miss the purpose of God's instruction. Look back at verse 12 with me where it says, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of Israel, therefore that's why he doesn't get to get into the promised land. Look, God's intention in that moment was not to demonstrate power, but to demonstrate his holiness. But the people only witnessed Moses' hot-headedness. See, Moses made a holy moment about himself. He didn't slow down enough to allow that moment to be about God. Instead, he just reacted. So Moses' reaction gets him in trouble. and And then let's root this into our lives. What does the Bible say to us? Well, it tells us that this would be costly for our lives as well if we become people of reaction. Let's look at the wisdom book. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So ultimately, Moses' refusal to slow down cost him the promised land. Slowing down to practice the presence of God requires that when the pressure is up, we learn to breathe, to slow things down, to take time, to learn to respond, and, and failing to slow our own lives down may cost us what God has promised us as well. And the second way that slowing down protects us is that it, it protects us from rejection. Jesus offered a really stark warning. This should, this should put us all into a position of, of maybe a little bit of concern or, or at least awareness of where we're at in our own lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, he's talking about on the last day, on the day where I call everyone to heaven, who's my follower, on that day, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, I want you to be very uh, clear about this. Who is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people who call themselves Christians, who would say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. But apparently there will be people who claim to have Christian faith who will not actually be welcomed into heaven. We should be asking, why? That sounds terrifying. Why would that be? Well, not because they didn't know who Jesus is. But Jesus says, because I didn't know you. And that no is an intimate term there. I didn't have an intimate relationship with you is what he is saying. Yeah, you practiced all of the stuff. You went to church and you, re, you, you shared what your church posted on Instagram. When they fed the poor, you said, look at what I'm doing in the name of Jesus. That's my church. Those are my people. That's my tribe. And it's good to celebrate what your church is doing. But you don't get to say, I fed the poor just because you, re, you, you shared an Instagram post. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly the point. What we do corporately, I hope you get to be a part of that. We should all get to celebrate. Come and help and lean in and let's change the world together. Amen? But the corporate ministry is not necessarily credited in your bank account with your personal relationship with Jesus. And that ultimately is what Jesus is concerned with when it comes to the question of do you know him and are you known by him? Uh, Pete Scazzaro, who I mentioned earlier, he says, we may know a lot about God in our heads, but none of these things matter if we remain unknown by Christ. What matters is the genuine fruit that comes only out of a deep and surrendered connection with Jesus, Bearing fruit requires slowing down enough to give Jesus direct access to every aspect of our lives and our leadership. Whatever leadership looks like, leading your own personal life, leading your family, leading in the the place that you work. He goes on to say, just because God has access to everything that is true about us does not mean God has access to us. Loving union is an act of surrender, giving God complete access, and we can't do that in a hurry. Again, God is omnipresent, and in his omnipresent, in every single moment, we are the ones who are limited. God's not in a hurry ever, but hurry is is somehow our way of attempting to get ahead, to move on to the next moment. To, to say, this moment isn't good enough for my attention. I, I want to be in that moment, Lord. That's the moment that I, I feel like you put your anointing on that moment. We, notice how we do this in Christian life, right? I, I want to I rush ahead to, the, to that good moment, to the miracle moment, to the, to the breakthrough moment, to the moment where I'm living on the other side of this pain right now. And, and, and it's almost like we're forcing God to be in certain moments and just say, these moments don't matter, God. And God says, no, I was in that moment that you rushed past as well. And what we actually end up doing is, is we create an entire system, an entire structure of our lives where we say, God, okay, here are the moments that I want you to be in. I want you to be in the moments when I show up on Sunday. In fact, you better be in the moments that I show up on Sunday. You know what we say? Uh, if, if we don't feel like God showed up on the moments on Sunday, we go, I just wasn't fed today when I went to church. You ever, you ever said that? Don't tell me. Don't tell me if I'm the reason you ever said that. I'll be deeply wounded. Actually, I won't, because that wasn't my problem. Um, oh. <laughs> Stepping on toes. Here, here's the thing. I frame a life that says, God, I really want you to show up on Sunday. And God responds by saying, I am already on Sunday. I'm talking about Monday and Tuesday. I'm talking about when you go to lunch. I'm talking about when you get cut off, when you leave church today. God is already in that moment, and he already knows how you want to respond. I'm talking about when you go to, go to the restaurant, and your server knows that you came from church, and we are notorious for being the, the worst guests at a restaurant. Sunday is the worst. If you've ever served tables, you hate working on Sundays, because you know we're coming, and we're terrible at a restaurant. Because we leave God at church and go to the restaurant and act like the devil. Sorry, no, I just mean you act like yourself. I didn't mean to insult you. You act like yourself and they still don't like you. Look, God is not satisfied with our weekly, for some of us, our monthly pausing to attend to God's presence on a on a Sunday service. I want to be clear. We love that you show up to church because it shows that you are leaning in today to the community, to the body, to learning together. We love that you show up to serve. We, we love that. That's why we do the events and the, and the gatherings is because it's important that we gather and grow together. But none of this, this isn't your Christianity. This isn't you practicing the presence any more than what you do when you go to lunch should be practicing the presence. The question is, are you flying by those moments so you could get to the next powerful moment with the Holy Spirit? You know what Sharon and I call people who do that? We call them fire chasers. I build my entire Christianity around just wanting to chase the fire of God. When's the next moment? When's the next miracle? When's the next dynamic move of God? And God's like, dude, I'm right here all the time. Am I, am I just like me, the, the one who made all of it possible? Am I not enough? Am I not enough? It'd be like, it'd be like a married person looking at their spouse going, when are you giving me the next gift? <laughs> and, then, and I'm going to ignore you until you give it to me. Don't we have such a good relationship, Lord? I'm so glad that we have this relationship where you give me gifts once a week. I'm not going to talk to you until you give it to me. God wants us to live every single moment of every single day in the presence of God, and you cannot do that in a hurry. So as we slow down to practice God's presence, we'll be more mature and less reactionary. We will be protected from the rejection of failing to be known by God. And as we slow down, we'll also realize that there's a promise in this. Let's turn the corner and talk about the promises, the good stuff. Slowing down promises rest. Jesus makes this invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's saying, come to me, all of you who, when asked how are you doing, you say busy. Come to me. All of you who, when asked when was the last time you took a vacation, you laugh. Come to me, all of you who, when asked what does work look like for you, and your response is which job do you want me to talk to you about. Come to me, all of you who say how is it at your family taking Sabbath and in your household getting rest, and you go, what's the Sabbath? Come to me, all of you who can't sleep at night because your brain doesn't know how to shut down anymore. And I will give you rest. In response, laying down your burdens and your weariness, he says, Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus, for the record, is not only talking about physical times when we stop. He is talking about that. We should practice things like Sabbath. We'll talk about that briefly again in a moment. But Jesus is promising something that we would refer to as soul rest. Which is something that you can do while moving through your life. You can have a soul that is at rest or or at peace. You cannot, however, do that if you live your physical life at the pace of the world around you. You you cannot. This world is killing us. And by the way, Jesus doesn't take rest lightly. In the word of God, in Isaiah chapter 30, it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, this is, uh, in Isaiah, it's a, it's a prophetic word to the people of Israel specifically and to us uh, generally as well. And, and here's what God says. In quietness and trust is your strength, but, would, but you would have none of it. He goes on to talk about, you're too busy. You're running around trying to be like everybody else. Wraps up the thought by saying, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Remember what we said about God's character? He's patient. He exists outside of time and invites us to live, not bound, we are bound by time, but not crushed by time, to learn to be like him, to be patient as he is patient. Blessed are all of those who wait for him. We find our salvation in rest. I mean, think about what salvation is. The old covenant was all about us doing work so that we could make God happy with us until we sinned enough or the next sacrifice came around. We could work to make God happy with us again. And Jesus did the work on the cross so that we could stop having to work to please God. The very idea of salvation is rest. Stop working to... You don't owe God work to please Him. Jesus' invitation to rest empowers us to respond to the invitation of 1 Peter chapter 5, which says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Rest is the reward for those who are humble enough to slow down enough to bring their cares to Jesus and receive in return his comfort." And that feels like it takes a lot of work, maybe deconstructing some of your life, doing the practice of slowing down. But again, the reward is worth it. The the reward of practicing the presence is that we are protected against reaction and rejection, and we are welcomed into a rested life. Could you imagine what your heart would feel like if the next time someone asked you, How are you doing? You said rested. I'm at rest. I'm at peace. It's interesting that um, and it's been on my mind quite a bit recently because uh, Queen Elizabeth just passed away just this week. And if you know me, you know I'm actually a British citizen. I was born there. And so it's just been putting my brain into a lot of thinking recently about death. And one of the things that we say to a person when they pass away or about a person is we kind of pray this blessing over their soul. We say, rest in peace. And what a tragedy in our world that we only reserve that sentence for the dead. I think Jesus came to die and conquer death so that we could experience rest in peace while we yet live. But that takes slowing down. We cannot rest in peace in a hurry. So how do we do this? This this is the big question. How do we actually begin to do this? I know I've talked about Pete Scazzaro quite a bit uh, today, but I I just figured, you know, he's one of the experts on this topic. And so I I just want to offer you, I I didn't want to make up a list when it's already out there. Um, So here's what he says about how we can practice this presence that, again, he calls slowing down for loving union. And he starts by saying this, you know you're not experiencing loving union or rest or peace or the presence of God, when you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do in too little time, when you're always rushing, routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments, are often fearful about the future, are overly concerned about what others think, are defensive and easily offended, are routinely preoccupied and distracted, consistently ignore the stress, anxiety, and tightness of your body. Feel unenthusiastic or threatened by the success of others or when you routinely spend time talking, more time talking than listening. And so he goes on to say this, making the necessary changes to slow down your life for loving union with Jesus is a countercultural prophetic stance. We're not living in a desert or a monastic community with built-in structures and supports. So you can't expect to start and you ca- so you can exte- expect starts and stops, successes and failures as you find your way to figure out what works best in light of your unique personality, responses, responsibilities, limits and family dynamics. What is critical is that you take the long view. Inhale. Exhale. Relax. So to, to slow down, and to practice God's presence. First, you have to do the hard work of rejecting the soul-crushing pace of Western culture. It is killing you, and we have fallen in love with it. Then once we've done that work, maybe that's a work of repentance, a work of deconstructing some of the things of our lives. Then slowing down to practice God's presence becomes actually very practical. Here's what I would say I would offer you, five things that you can do to slow down. This is not an exhaustive list, but this will get you started. Five things you can do uh, to begin to slow your life down. Number one, when feeling frustration or anger, pause and breathe. We, could, we did this last week, but can we just do this together? Could quick? just take one slow, deep breath? That took about six seconds. Do that a handful of times. You've got half a minute on your hands to think about what's going on rather than react, right? Then, as you pause and breathe, slow down, take some deep breaths, ask God to give you his peace and wisdom before you do anything else. Please. I mean, we call this prayer, but sometimes it's like a cry for help. Right? As I'm breathing in this moment, I'm giving myself some space to not react. God, give me wisdom for what I should do. Number two, position yourself to practice patience while being aware of God's presence. Here are some things that I thought might frustrate you. Willfully drive in the slow lane. (laughs) The next time you're at the grocery store and you're doing that scan for the longest line and going, I'm avoiding that one like COVID. (laughs) We used to say like the plague, but now we just updated that phrase. The challenge is ignore self-checkout. Which, by the way, some of this is already a miracle because you drove in the slow lane to go to a store. So we're not talking about your Amazon deliveries. We're not talking about Grubhub deliver Carl's Jr. to your house. I drove to the slow lane, and then in the, in the checkout... I found the longest line. I'm just going to stand there. And here's what you do. Nothing. You just wait. <laughs> can you do this? This is the this is the. Can you do this in the presence of God? I'm going to tell you, if this is hard for you, This is hard for you. You need to rest. You can't just rock back from on the fronts to the backs of your feet just for 10 minutes while you're waiting. 10 minutes, Tim? You're asking me to wait 10 minutes in line? You mean you want me to get in the line that I know is slow because this kid is a rookie and does not know how to make correct change? and has had already called the manager 3 times since i got in this line that's the line you want me to stand in no i mean maybe jesus does yeah i said it i cannot wait till i get out of here some of you are like move on next point already tim Yeah, no, I'm doing this on purpose. Do you you know Jesus walked everywhere that he went? And I want to get in the fast lane, microwave everything, and have it delivered to my house. And Jesus said, slow, slow down. Walk with me. So that's the challenge. Put yourself in positions to force yourself to have to practice being patient. And who knows? You know how many people you could pray for without them even knowing it while you wait in a 10-minute line? Man, that checkout kid might be the most blessed employee at Vons that has ever walked the face of the earth by the time you get to the front of that line. Unless you're too busy, of course. Number three, practice being fully present, longer with other people. Put your phone away. (laughs) Put your phone away at the same time every night. Now, some of you are going to think this is an impossibility. Turn your phone off. I know. I know. What if they need to get a hold of me? Turn your phone off. If it's an emergency, the people who really need you, they know where you live. Turn your phone off during meetings. Okay, by the way, this right here, you know, you know the thing that you do when you're sitting at a meeting and someone texts you? And you go, oh, sorry, hold on a second. I'll get to that later. That's not generous. That's not generous with your time. This, this would have been better. I'm here with you. Right? And then however long you want to sit at that table and don't multitask, sit longer. Make eye contact with people. Next, practice Sabbath every week. Number five, practice silence and solitude throughout every single week, which could look like sitting alone with no distractions for about five minutes a day, and then over time you can spend more and more time just sitting alone in the silence and the presence of God. Now, I'm, I'm flying through Sabbath and silence and solitude because actually earlier this year we did a series called How to Hold Your Peace, and I talked about silence and solitude as disciplines. And so they're on our YouTube and on our podcast. You can go and listen uh, to those and watch those again. But I want you to notice that these practices, whatever, however you respond to this, these practices require sacrifice of things that also take your time. You have to be willing to give up time in order to practice these things. I've got all these places to go. You want me to stand in a line? Yeah. Practice that. Just be present longer than you may feel like you want to and see what God does to your heart. If it's uncomfortable, then maybe consider that's what it also feels like when the doctor pokes the place that hurts with the intention to heal it. So, finally, the question that we have to ask ourselves is this Do I want to know about God? or do I want to be known by God? The God who knows everything cannot be intimate with me unless I slow down to give him the moments of my life. Slowing down to practice God's presence is not simply about pausing a few extra times a week, it is about rebuilding my entire life around God's presence, which is not fast paced. So God does not invite us to build fast-paced lives. He does not invite us to go always up and to the right toward what the world would call success. He invites us to build solid, slow lives, deeply rooted in him. So what is our life rooted in? Is your life rooted in Christ? Or is it rooted in something else? Christ invites us, remember, to come to him with our weariness and our heavy burdens. Receiving his rest, learning a new way of living. Eugene Peterson calls that the unforced rhythms of grace. So as we close this time... I'd like to invite you to return with me to the prayer that we introduced last week. This will be our prayer for our series. It's up on the screen there. And I want to just invite you to pray this with me slowly. We're not rushed in this moment. What is it about this prayer, the practice in its simplicity, to just slow down, Make this our prayer to say, God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. Grow your fruit in my life. As we end this gathering, I want to just invite you to take a beat, to to slow down, to pause. You've heard a lot today. Breathe. What is it about this message that is speaking to you even now in this moment? What is it about God's love that he would like to extend to you even now? If you feel comfortable in this moment, I'd love to invite you just with your eyes closed to take a few deep breaths. Maybe as you breathe in, you receive the love of God over your life and as you breathe out, you push out the the commitment to the hurriedness, the addiction to fast pace. God, we breathe in your presence and your love. We breathe out our addiction to speed and to fast pace. When you're ready, over the next few moments, just right where you're sitting, I want to invite you to pray this together, with us together. But we won't do it corporately. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and recite these words with me. I'm just going to ask that we leave these words on the screen. And when you're ready over the next moment, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer slowly to God. You'll say, God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. Grow your fruit out of my life. Right where you're sitting, let that be your prayer. us to do more than just know with our heads but to know in our hearts that you are with us help us to slow down so that we will not be reactionary people but can respond to the world around us and even to the world going on inside of us from a place of your presence to slow down enough to hear you speak build up a life that walks at your pace. God, as we learn to walk again at the pace of your presence, God, would you grow your fruit out of our lives. And as this becomes our prayer today, I pray this blessing over you, my friends, may you learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace. May the busyness and cares of the world become less important to you than the presence of the God who created you. May you learn to slow down and rest in peace. And as you do, may you be strengthened, empowered, and sent to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.